lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and then, of course, all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on MeWe, Gab, and Parlor. Look for Steve Dace there. And then, of course, you can get censored clips of the program online at youtube.com slash Steve Dace or rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Coming up on the show today, oh, I got a few of you that asked me about this in the email. So let me mention this right now here at the top. Uh, more and more people looking for options uh, for educating their children. And now we're getting back to a majority of school children are getting in-person uh, education. But what about masks? You're going to force your kids to wear a bacteria reingesting filter all school year long and then wonder why they got so many strep throat cases. We're, we're going to do that again this coming year. If you don't want to have that happen to you, uh, check out our friends over at Freedom Project Academy. Um, they, unlike public schools, uh, they have mastered live on, online learning. Our own son Noah did this for several years. They've been at it for more than a decade. I know the people who founded this place uh, and what they're all about firsthand. It's built on Judeo-Christian values, classical curriculum. So they're taught mastery of subject matter, critical thinking, you know, the way that the generations that founded and built this country, how they were educated before this all became pagan indoctrination. Uh, they are about teaching your kids how to think not what to think. And if you want to get more information about this, visit freedomforschool.com. Again, freedomforschool.com and get your child a real education today from Freedom Project Academy. Uh, Look them up at freedomforschool.com. All right, coming up on the program today, Lila Rose from Live Action will be joining us here about her new book that's out today at the bottom of the hour and more when we delve into some breaking pro-life news from with her too. Uh, next hour, fake news or not, we'll continue our look at our new best-selling book, Fauci and Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. And for Pop Culture Tuesday, on this day in 2012, the Dace family was on its way to see the first Avengers film on opening day, even though it's May the 4th be with you at Star Wars Day. Well, it was May 4th, 2012, when the first Avengers film came out. And I got a chance, Facebook threw up some of the cute pictures from that day, so I shared one of them online uh, a little earlier. Um, Yesterday afternoon, Marvel came out with a trailer in order to promote its new slate of films. And it takes an interesting... I guess, pitch, we'll call it, Um, in terms of why they're doing this and what the point of movies happens to be. We're going to watch this and react to it in Pop Culture Tuesday coming up at the end of the program. But before we get to all of that, of course, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by calling a rap on the virus. Florida and Oklahoma yesterday all but declared the end of the pandemic government response in their respective states. In Oklahoma, Governor Kevin Stitt says, Back in February, I cast the vision that we would get our summer back. Oklahoma, 
Now is the time. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill that makes permanent his executive order banning the use of vaccine passports by government and businesses alike. Also, DeSantis suspended all remaining COVID-19 emergency orders down to the local level with parameters for future use of emergency orders during public health emergencies. DeSantis spoke about the measures at a press conference. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. And nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a I'm just a big, hairy American winning machine. If you ain't first, you're last. Checking in on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who, while encouraging people to take the vaccine, spoke about two subjects he's deeply familiar with, unsolicited contact and killing grandma. Maybe you go home and kiss your grandmother and wind up killing your grandmother. The Massachusetts town of Brookline, just outside Boston, announced recently they're reinstating their outdoor mask mandate, despite Governor Charlie Baker ending the statewide mandate on April 30th. Dr. Swanee Jett is the director of health and human services for the town, and he went on CNN to explain the science. Are you concerned by that keeping this mandate in place, you're not giving that unvaccinated population an incentive to go out and get the shot? Well, you know, actually, if you keep a mask mandate in place, it might give them incentive to go get the shot. According to NerdWallet, Brookline, Massachusetts is the second most educated town in America. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, Mama says education is as education does. Mama Red State Good update. The Kansas legislature has overridden Governor Laura Kelly's veto of a bill that strengthens Kansas's election laws. The bill makes it a misdemeanor for anyone in Kansas to return more than 10 ballots on behalf of other Kansans and prohibits the executive and judicial branches of government from altering election laws. The legislature also overrode the governor's veto on a new bill strengthening gun owners' ability to defend themselves with their firearms. Red State Bad update. A bill banning the future use of mask mandates can't even get a hearing in the Idaho Senate. The bill was passed by the state house recently, but apparently has little interest in the Senate. Moving on, and holy cow, you're going to love Joe Biden now. I keep hearing on the press, Biden's going to raise your taxes. Anybody making less than $400,000 a year will not pay a single penny in taxes. Remember this clip of Joe Biden from yesterday's montage? But if we were, in fact, sitting there talking to one another close, I'd have my mask on, and I bet you'd have a mask, even though we've both been vaccinated. Well, the Carter Center in Georgia released a photo yesterday evening of Joe Biden's visit to the state a few days ago, where he met with the 90-plus-year-old Jimmy Carter and his wife with no mask. Also, nobody's really sure what camera lens was used for that photo, but it sure is weird. In other news, this professor at Cypress College in California has been placed on leave for the rest of the semester and will not be returning in the fall after this exchange with a student regarding the police. Uh, I think cops are heroes and they have to have a difficult job, but we have to have all of them. Oh, I'm not. I mean, I'd say uh, a good majority of them. You have bad people in every business and every part. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Police officers have committed atrocious crimes and have gotten away with it and have never been convicted of any of it. And, and I say this as a person who has family members who are police officers. Yes, I, I, I understand. Um, and this is what I believe. This is my opinion. And this is you know, not popular to say, but uh, I do support our police. And we have bad people. And the people that do bad things should be brought to justice. I agree with that. But I think that uh, I say, I'm saying it again. They haven't. 
Well, I agree with you on that point of they should, right? So what is your bottom line point? Also in California, this exchange between a distracted driver and a police officer went viral yesterday. The speed limit is 40 and I was going 38, so why are you harassing me? You are correct. I pulled you over because... Because you're a murderer. Uh, Yes, I started to record because you're a murderer. You can't be on your cell phone while you're driving. I wasn't on my phone. I was recording you because you scared me. You can't use your cell phone while you're recording. I can record you. May I have your driver's license? It's... It's at my apartment. Can you zoom in on that for me, Sure. Dear? Thank you. And I'm perfectly legal, and I'm a teacher. So oh. there. Congratulations. Murderer. You're a murderer. Being a, right for him being a Mexican racist, what is that name? Gas. It's on the citation, ma'am. Here you go, Mexican racist. You're always going to be a Mexican. You'll never be white. You know that, right? You'll never be white, which is what you really want to be. Bill Gates announced yesterday he and his wife, Melinda, are divorcing. According to industry analysis of some new data released by the FBI, a record 1.7 million gun sales took place in the month of April. Speaking of the FBI, the Biden administration, along with the intel community, is conspiring against the American people in order to get around laws preventing the federal government from spying on the American people. The report from CNN details how the intel community, like the FBI or CIA, is working to hire outside firms to do the dirty work so their hands can stay clean. In completely unrelated news, here's a recent recruiting pitch for the CIA. I'm a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. And finally, here's another non-gender-specific millennial who enjoys working for the CIA. I've never been like other girls, you know, I've never done what the patriarchy wanted me to do. When I was a little girl playing Marco Polo in the pool with my friends, I would hold their heads underwater and make them tell me where Polo was. You know what I mean? You know, in college, uh, when other girls were doing acid, I was the one giving them the acid, and then I would psychologically torture them for information. And so I've always just been uh, a little bit different. And that's why I joined the CIA. You know, if I could go back and tell this little baby girl something, I think I would tell her that, uh, you know, women can do murder too. We can do a little murder too, if, if we want to. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage brought to you by Omega XL, whether it's back, knees, neck, shoulder pain, or if in my case, we're talking about the left, that pesky left hip flexor, the underlying cause is likely inflammation and you got to defeat that inflammation before it can cause permanent damage. If you're looking for a product that can do so for you, use the one that I use backed by 35 years of clinical research. Omega XL attacks the inflammation that is causing your pain. Those pain relievers, topical rubs, hey, they work to relieve symptoms. That's why you have to keep using them over and over and over and over again. But Omega XL neutralizes the inflammation that's causing those problems to begin with. And if you want to get started with it, order Omega XL right now, get one bottle, and then they'll throw in a second one for free. Buy one, get one free today at OmegaXL.com slash Steve. Again, that's OmegaXL.com slash Steve, or give them a call at 800-844-4888. That's 800-844-4888. All right, let's get to Aaron's montage. And again, there is a ton of content uh, here that uh, we could delve into. Uh, let's start with uh, the, the top line matter, Oklahoma and Florida basically calling raps on the pandemic response to the virus. It was interesting the two approaches, though, that the two governors took, um, 
one, the governor of Oklahoma, I think his name is Kevin Stitt, correct? Uh, his approach was that you, you, they just met enough benchmarks there. And um, therefore, he was going to relax restrictions. Um, DeSantis's perspective is essentially was, I mean, this isn't even constitutionally justifiable. And this has never been science from the very beginning. So why are we still doing it? I, I think there was just a bit of a nuanced difference in the way that both parties messaged what they were going to do. Um, and DeSantis is also putting his boot on the neck of local authorities and local governments in the state as well. And I, I got to tell you, man, at least in my lifetime, has there been a better Republican governor? Especially when you consider, because I think you have to factor in the complexity of Florida, the diversity of Florida, the political and electoral priority of Florida, right? I mean, it, it's, it is a potent and pivotal political powder keg in national American politics. And, and this guy has treated it like, well, Texas. He's treated it like you would expect Republican leadership to govern in Texas. And this is a guy that won a gubernatorial seat in Florida by what, 40, 50,000 votes? That's it. And, and the rationale that he uses to go after them, to articulate against them. Why can't every single red state governor do this? If it can be done in Florida, like West Virginia, a Democrat presidential candidate hasn't won a precinct in your state since 2008, more than a decade. How is Florida redder than you? How? Even though we applaud what Kevin Stitt did in Oklahoma yesterday, how is Florida redder than Oklahoma? Greg Abbott, how is Florida redder than Texas? How is it redder than Mississippi? Should we continue on? I mean, how is it redder than any state that has a Republican governor? If there was ever a Republican that could make some kind of case that he's got to play both sides against the middle, to preserve himself politically, it would be the guy of the the powder keg known as Florida. And then he's putting all of you to shame. He's at least the best Republican governor in my lifetime. Now, admittedly, the field is unimpressive as a whole. But he's done all of this before even facing a re-election. I just don't know. And I find myself in a weird position. I just don't know how you're not impressed. And invariably what he has done 
is he has acted on the rhetorical flourish that Trump kind of cleared in the arena. That talking it, Trump kind of made it safe, didn't do much about many of these things, but he, he showed you could be politically viable and successful talking about them, talking like them. And then it was just a matter of eventually someone is going to go ahead and now do them and then politically benefit tremendously from doing so. I don't know that anybody thought a former member of Congress who's presiding over the most expensive, divisive swing state in the union would be the one to do it. You might have figured it might have been somebody in, I guess we'll call it a safer, redder state. But it's actually the guy with the most to lose politically that is doing it. And he is benefiting tremendously. Look at his approval rating. Look at the state of the Democratic Party in his state. He's just doing the thing. Just not tweeting about it. Not using the most incendiary language that's unnecessary at times. He's just doing things. In fact, you know what he's governing a lot like? This is actually how Democrats govern. They don't spend months and months and months debating us on stuff. They just do it and realize that once you do something, people just adopt it and adapt to it as a normal thing now. That's kind of our human capacity for adaptation. Oh, yeah, I mean, okay, they they just did it. They just masked all the elementary kids. And then it just seems like normal to you. That's kind of been his governing approach. I'm just going to do this stuff. I mean, all the same people are going to hate me anyway, whether I don't do it, right? So I might as well just do it and get some benefit out of it. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, you have Washington Republican leadership like Kevin McCarthy. Now figuring out Liz Cheney's a tumor. They had a chance to be rid of her, what was it, a month or two ago? But, but they, here's why they didn't do it. Because you wanted it. And they hate you. You wanted her gone. And so they didn't, they stood by her because you wanted her gone. What's rule number one of the Republican Party? Screw it, space. Rule number two is, see rule number one. They don't want to do anything that shows you they recognize you're empowered. Ever. Because they hate your guts. The only political party that hates you more than the Democrats are the people running the Republicans. So they let her linger on. They do some secret voice vote. Let her survive. And now another month or two goes by. More damage is inflicted. More stupidity is said. She basically uses the party to audition for her future lifetime contract as an MSNBC contributor. And now they know they got to get rid of her. They just took on all this damage needlessly. They didn't have to do this. They could have relegated her to the hinterlands weeks ago. But that would have shown that they listened to you. That would have shown that you're empowered in this process. That would have shown their base has leverage. Republicans would rather lose control to Democrats then lose control to you. So they just kept the tumor in-house. 
it festers and festers, grows and grows. And now finally, it's at a point of no return. Tucker Carlson is annihilating Kevin McCarthy nightly, just coming up with new angles now to, to, to fillet him. And so McCarthy knows he's got to offer something up here to deflect. And it'll be Liz Cheney. Weeks and weeks too late. Damage already done. Could have ingratiated himself to you before he found out he was Frank Luntz's roommate. Could have ingratiated himself to you. Could have shown, hey, I'm not John Boehner. I'm not Paul Ryan. I listen to my base. Doesn't mean I always think you're right, but I do listen. And when I think you're right, I'll act. So she gone. Didn't do that, though. Now he's getting crushed. She's been given even a larger platform of, of divisiveness. This was completely unnecessary. And no, it's not stupid. Well, it is, but not in terms of the motivation. Kevin McCarthy didn't get to where he's at because he's a numbnuts. It's stupid, but not unintelligent. It's stupid because of the motivation it starts from. We hate our base. When you hate the customers you were hired to serve, you're going to make a lot of stupid business decisions. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have and where they came from. Because you're going to consistently serve the customers you wished you had rather than the customers you do have. Ron DeSantis serves the customers he has. And look at the results. Kevin McCarthy and most Republicans, particularly all of them in leadership in Washington, serve the base they wish they had. And they have done so for many, many moons. And look at those results too. What's going on in Brookline, Massachusetts? You know, there's a story out from the Atlantic today. Which just can't understand. It cannot understand why so many liberals who believe in reason and science. Now understand, we're laughing at these new CDC guidelines about masking outdoors and things of that nature. But over there, on the other side of this, this is like cry freedom. Like you were telling me yesterday, this is the first soccer game you've been at where you're not the only person on the sidelines not wearing a mask, right? Right. The new guidelines about you don't have to wear masks outdoors and now all of a sudden, you know, soccer nation uh, thinks it's safe now to go back outdoors without a mask, right? And so the Atlantic has this story out today where they're, they're fascinated by the amount of people that follow reason and science that just want to hold on to this even as standards get loosened you know one of the problems that they're having in selling the covid vaccine is this is why they're talking so much in the media about india except most of you don't care about india so it doesn't land like it does if they're talking about new york but they're they, the the virus is in retreat is in full-scale retreat in the united states which then gives you less of an incentive to take a risk with an experimental substance, a non-FTA approved vaccine, particularly because you're the one that takes all the risk. The injectee is taking all the risk here. If something goes wrong, so I went, so I was at Walmart yesterday without a mask. Wasn't the only one there without a mask, by the way. And there was almost there was like no line whatsoever to get the COVID vaccine yesterday. Biggest Walmart in Des Moines. 
but they had a, a fairly good sized area cordoned off where they asked you if you did come in to get the vaccine. And this is the first time now I'm starting to see these 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 entities are putting all kinds of advertisements for the vaccine outside and that it's free, no cost, we'll just give it to you. They can't get people to come in and get it for nothing. But cordoned off and every chair was empty because there was like nobody there getting the vaccine yesterday afternoon. But cordoned off was a large, not insignificant area, I would say 10 to 15 seats where they ask you to sit there for at least 15 minutes after getting an injection to make sure you're not immediately showing any visible side effects. That wasn't there the last time I was at Walmart just a couple of weeks ago. They didn't have that there. It's there now. See, you're the one that takes all the risk if you take the vaccine. You take it all. Something goes wrong. You're one of those incident reports. You can't sue Moderna and Pfizer. They're, they're protected legally. And since it's not FDA approved, <clears throat> who do you hold accountable in government? Government gets to say, well, it's emergency authorization. It's not approved. We don't finish our approval process till 2023. Can't go after them really either. So the only one taking really any risk here is the average American who takes the jab. You, you assume all risk. All risk. Government's not accountable right now. And Moderna and Pfizer aren't. Ever. By law. And so this Atlantic story is, is mystified why so many people on the left who follow reason and science don't want to let go of this. You know, the, the same Atlantic that launched the COVID tracking project, which take it as, from someone who has looked at as much COVID data as probably anyone in American media has in the last year. Nobody slanted their data better and more in favor of panic porn while claiming to be objective than the COVID tracking project did. The Atlantic also ran a story about this time last year on Georgia's, quote, experiment in human sacrifice. Remember this. I do. By reopening too soon. And now, apparently the Atlantic was not expecting its own readers. Because it ain't our people reading that stuff, right? The Atlantic was not expecting its own readers to believe in its own content. You guys seemingly are surprised over there at the Atlantic that your readers read your stuff. I mean, it talks about, this story talks about a guy who logs on and writes poems to, to COVID. And no, it's not about Mike DeWine, the Ohio governor, although he does it too. But it's a Branch Covidian cult. It provides people a sense of meaning in their lives. Yeah. That's what's been driving most of this. The spirit of the age. And now all of a sudden, you know why? Weather's getting warmer. Over at the Atlantic, they, you know, they got rid of Trump. They want to go back to Yankee Stadium, man. They want to be back. They want to go back to Hamilton for a third, a third round. They want to see Wicked again. So they have a small problem. They did too good of a job cultifying. And now it's some of their own people and their own base and their own readers who don't want to let this go, who have gone full-fledged Schmeagel to Golem. And you will pry this from their cold, dead fingers. It's the precious. 
And as you read this Atlantic piece, you can almost, you almost hear the writer and the editors over there yelling, stop it. It worked. Orange man was bad. We got rid of him. Can we go back to real life now? (laughs) Uh, Those chickens are coming home to roost now, aren't they? Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. We always reap what we sow. Gentlemen, any thoughts? Well, those the teacher at the end of the montage who's calling the Mexican cop a murderer, you know, the, the, that is the level of cult that Steve is talking about. And it's rife across genres. It's in race. It's in science. Yep, it's know, all driven by the same source. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And it's in your backyard, which is what I've been talking about, these radio stations, talking about the book. It is everywhere. That's why you need to go to work in your backyard. You're not returning to normal, and you don't want to, because normal sucked and normal got us here. you got to pick a better way. Well said. Lila Rose from Live Action will be joining us next year on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. Just had the first built bar of the day. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. You don't have to make a choice any longer between health and good eating with Built Bar. I would say it's it's not officially a candy bar, but man, they taste like one. It is the healthiest candy bar, in my opinion. Uh, they don't make that vow, but I'm going to add it as my take. It's the healthiest candy bar you have ever tried. All of their flavors covered in real chocolate, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high pro or high fiber. For example, here's a prof- profile of one of their most popular flavors, their cookies and cream. 17 grams of protein in one bar, just 130 calories, just four grams of sugar, four net carbs. And trust me, like I keep saying, they taste great. If you've never tried this product, I get tons of emails from people all over the country about them all the time. Like I was skeptical, then I tried it, And now uh, my husband or my wife and I are fighting over these, all right? Use my last name as your promo code. Get 15% off to try your first order today with the promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, promo code DACE at BuiltBar.com. Again, B-U-I-L-T for BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code DACE in order to get your first order of Built Bar and you will thank me for it later. Name of the book. Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. It is out today. The author, Lila Rose from Live Action, joins us now. Lila, it's good to have you back here with us on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, Steve. So tell us about the book. And this takes a more personal approach uh, than some of uh, your more recent work. Why did you decide to go down that road? So I wrote Fighting for Life as a guidebook for anybody who feels called to make a change in the world. They see an injustice and they want to get involved, but they don't know how to start. They feel maybe insecurities or fears about it. And I went really personal in the book because 
I had a lot of fears and insecurities and struggles. When I was starting my organization at age 15, we've built it now into a global leader for the pro-life movement, and we're reaching 10 to 15 million people every single week now. But when I was first starting out, there was a lot of inertia, there were a lot of struggles, and over the years, to persevere, I had to learn a lot of lessons. So I wanted to translate all that experience um, to encourage others to say, look, you might see some cause that you're passionate about. You can dive in. Your voice is needed. Everybody has a role to play. It doesn't matter your state in life. You all have, we all have a role to play in making this world better and provide tools and encouragement about how to do that. It's a, it's aligned with uh, every year we have a theme kind of on our show about, you know, how to both reboot things, but also keep up to date on where we think things are, are heading in the culture. And our theme this year for the show has been the answer is us that ultimately we just, we, I, I understand we have churches, families, businesses, um, and we just don't want to devote more time than necessary to political activism or any form of social activism with all the other demands on our time. But it's what John Adams once pointed out. Hey, I, you know, I study, uh, activism and warfare now so my children uh, can study architecture and the arts later. That there, for everything, there's a time and a season, and this is a time and a season with everything going on in the country right now. But frankly, I think we've got to be a little bit more labor-intensive and a little less, let's just outsource this to anybody with an R or anything after their name and then not follow up and then find out later on that we're shocked we didn't get the results we wanted, that the answer really is going to have to be us. We're going to have to do a lot of this ourselves and then we're finding with our audience that they're responding to that message but now we get a lot of questions so how do i do this i get emails from people hey i'm at a i'm at a party meeting i'm running for state chair or state delegate i'm about to give a speech what would you have me say the the amount of practical uh help our people need that they just have not gotten for a generation i think lends itself to why a book like this is needed Thank you. Well, I, that's one of the reasons I wrote it because the practical stuff and the mindset stuff is so important. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, the answer is us. We got to go and change our culture, change our politics. Um, we need to build strong, healthy families, but we also need to get activated in our communities and our states. Um, okay, now what? You know, and, and what do you do when you don't want to offend people? What do you do when you know you don't want to lose friends or family? What do you do when you have your own struggles in your own life that seem so overwhelming, but you still feel like this calling that you should be doing more in your community? And so all of these things are totally normal. And I want to, you know, encourage folks that listen, you're not alone in feeling those things but don't let those things stop you. So first, the first part of the book is called Getting Started. And it's the practical tools and sort of the mindset of what it looks like to get out of our comfort zone, to leave sort of the status quo of our life, you know, dropping the kids off at school, or if you're a student going to school and going to work and going to bed and waking up and doing, doing it again, and what kind of risks uh, we can take and how we can prepare ourselves to take those risks. Of course, risks that are not crazy in the sense they're going to destroy our lives, but they're going to help us get ourselves out of the typical in order to actually force the change that's needed. And two things I talk about in that first part of the book is the power of heartbreak. I think uh, we get angry reading, watching the news, reading the news. There's so much to be upset about in our country, mm -hmm. but letting ourselves really grieve for the people that are hurting. I mean, in the case of abortion, 2,363 children killed daily in America. 
and they're you know their stories are not being told by media they're not being talked about these are these nameless voiceless children being killed daily so let, let yourself be heartbroken by the injustice because that's going to be a necessary driver for the change that you're going to make and then another key is finding heroes i mean we sometimes lose sense of we have so many anti-heroes in our culture so many people that i think are um doing villainous things or negative things but look to in history who are the people that did make the change for me i talk about mother Teresa. i talk about corrie ten boom who hid Jews with her father in their attic to protect them from the Nazis. And then she was shipped off to a concentration camp and the courage and the moral clarity that that took. And if we have these sorts of people as heroes to give us moral clarity, to show us what's possible, the power of sacrificial love, that also will captivate us and help move us out of our typical everyday routine. So there's a lot of practical tools. It's a lot about um, the inspiration needed, because I think it's also having vision for what's possible, that it is possible to change our country. Our country doesn't have to go down the, the drain. You know, we don't have to constantly be at war with each other, worse and worse. We can make this country pro-life. We can make this country return to moral values. It takes one person at a time willing to stand up, even when it's difficult, raise their voice and get to work. And that is the, um, the ultimate encouragement of the book. While you're here, Lila, there's a couple of recent pieces of pro-life news I'd love to get your your take on. Uh, one of them actually comes from the sports world. About a week ago, uh, there was a story uh, from Penn Live in Pennsylvania about Penn State All-American linebacker Micah Parsons uh, and his path to the NFL draft and being a first-round draft pick. And part of the story mentioned that his mother had considered abortion for him and then had been counseled out of it. And he's thankful for the choice that she made. Otherwise, obviously, he's not going to be here to be drafted. And then they ended up actually taking that story off their social media feed when a female sports writer over at The Athletic, Nicole Auerbach, who's a very prominent college football reporter, basically just lost her mind. Uh, And uh, on her Twitter feed, I cannot believe mainstream media is covering one of these uh, survived an abortion stories. That was the wording and those sorts of things that she used. Essentially, she was arguing she'd have preferred Michael Parsons was dead and not able to be drafted uh, by the National Football League last week. What's your reaction to that? Well, he and his mother committed the greatest crime for that woman and so many other commentators in sports and media and politics to dare to insinuate that abortion isn't good, that choosing life is good, and that killing your child is bad. And that's the that's the insanity we've entered into culturally and politically, where now it's taboo to even question abortion, even if you're pro-abortion or pro-choice. I mean, Andrew Yang, the Democratic candidate for president um, last cycle, who's now running, I think, for uh, mayor of New York City, um, he's very pro-abortion, but he said, yeah, abortion's a tragedy. We really should value children. And he was completely lambasted by this, by political commentators, people in the Democratic Party, and he took it back. He was just like, I'm sorry, I, you know, I didn't mean to offend, and I'm super in support of a woman's right to choose. I mean, that that is the true... Uh, the true nature of the pro-abortion lobby and unfortunately the far left and the Democratic Party platform today, which isn't that abortion is just helpful to women sometimes, but it's a sad thing. But instead that abortion is awesome and it should be through all nine months for any reason at any time, taxpayer funded, you know, the President Biden flip-flopped on the Hyde Amendment now wants taxpayers to pay for abortions. Not even Obama as president was asking for that. So the extremism is at an all-time high, but I think that's all the more an opportunity 
Most Democrats don't support abortion the way the Democratic Party does. Uh, most Americans want abortion restrictions. Uh, many are pro-life and increasingly so. There have been there has been unprecedented pro-life legislation at the state level in the last two years. So there's some phenomenal things happening. But Steve, as I'm sure you've seen and, and we talk about, because of the extremism and because of the lies being told and even the censorship, a lot of people don't see that extremism. They don't see uh, how out of touch you know, Joe Biden is. He's getting a pass from the media, et cetera. So it's up to us to expose it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's up to us to stand up, share what's happening, educate our families, educate our communities. And that's going to be the thing to tip the scale in the end. One last thing I want to ask you about, uh, another piece of pro-life news coming out today, uh, and this is a video released today by David Daleiden over at the Center for Medical Progress. And we're going to talk more about this in the overtime. Uh, That's a bonus segment we do for our subscribers, given the sensitive nature of what's in this video. But essentially, to to make it as PG-13 as I can, um, this is video evidence of the University of Pittsburgh getting over a million dollars in federal grants to essentially harvest organs uh, from aborted children, uh, in this case, specifically uh, the liver, in order to use for medical experimentation. When you see stories like this, what are your thoughts? Well, it's um, enraging and heartbreaking, and it shouldn't surprise us. The government has been doing tens of millions of dollars in grants to buy the body parts of children or the whole the whole child, the whole fetus. I mean, there was a, um, a FOIA done by an organization recently for the FDA and documented that they spent $12,000 on a male fetus at 21 weeks. I mean, almost old enough to survive outside the womb because they wanted to harvest, slice him up and harvest his organs for medical experiments. Um, this is just one element of today's abortion industry. When, when we permit the killing of preborn children, as if they're not, they have no value. I mean, they have less rights than animals in this country, children in the womb. Then should we be surprised that medical researchers are cutting apart their bodies and selling them and using them for experiments? It shouldn't surprise us. We we disrespect the child, we take their life. The fact that we're using them like material in a lab should not be a surprise. And it, it just, all the more goes to show the power of exposing this as David is doing and so many others and and demanding that it stop, you know, working to a completely abolish abortion and saying, this is not a human right to kill. It's a human right to live. And we need to fight for their right to live as children. One minute here to wrap it up, back to the book, Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. You hear a story like what you and I were just talking about and somebody watching or listening right now and said, all right, that's it. I've got to get off the sidelines. Give them one or two basic steps to get started. Thank you. So first of all, I would say find out in your community, is there someone else already doing pro-life work? And I talk about in the book, the steps I took to do this. Cause when I started, I didn't know of anyone. And I got first got connected with my pregnancy center. And I will guarantee you if you're in a mid-sized town or a city, there are pregnancy centers in your community that you can volunteer at and connect with, and they will have connections to other pro-life efforts. So that is a starting place. The other key, key piece is educate yourself. I mean, you're listening to this, you're getting passionate, start learning a comfort level with the pro-life apologetics. So if you're talking to a friend, you're not feeling blindsided by their objections. You know, if they say, well, what about abortion in this difficult case? What about this? You're prepared to give an answer because there are answers. Liveaction.org has actually a an online free training course to give answers 
for conversations about abortion. So those are a couple things. And then I would just say, keep that passion alive. You know, don't forget it tomorrow. Let your heart break again tomorrow. Let yourself get upset again about this tomorrow. Because if we are apathetic or go back to normal, we're never going to overcome. So let that fire burn in your heart. And I'm so excited to have you join the movement because you are so needed. Fighting for life, becoming a force for change in a wounded world. Lila Rose over at Live Action. You guys do phenomenal work, Lila. Thank you for joining us here today on the show. We appreciate it. All right, God Thanks bless. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Steve. Take care. Thoughts on that uh, conversation? And again, just to show the answer is us. I mean, what has happened because of the activism of a then teenage girl? And, and then what has been done through that activism of Lila? And, and what's become of it in the years since is just a testimony to anybody in this audience right now could be another Lila Rose. And, you know, when when I scheduled her, I kind of had this internal dialogue in my head like, wow, have we worried? Have we sprinted past this issue? Uh, not that we were doing incredibly effective work all the way along, but it did cert- have a certain pride of place. Now we have BLM, Antifa, COVID cult, gender Yet there's a paradox there. Yes, this thing, this issue, unfortunately, because there's so much other chaos, could get lost in the shuffle. But because of the, you mentioned DeSantis earlier on the show, and there's appetites for doing things a different way because of the craziness out there, perhaps right here in front of us, we can make more headway on this issue uh, than ever before if we take Lila's advice and f- get involved in a new way. I. We're on a razor's edge, and I don't know what the answer is, mm-hmm. but you got to go for it because it's the right thing to do. Talk about getting lost in the shuffle. I've I've thought of that as well. It's like how many shows over the last year have we done on pro life activism? Right. That's that. It's not not a not a whole lot. But then when you remember that every other single issue that we talk about, from the trainee issue to COVID to any of the other issues that we talk about, they really are. They really are all related to the Mm -hmm. life issue. And it's not lost lost in the shuffle. It is the foundation of the moral and uh, cultural collapse that we witness on a daily basis. If you devalue the life inside the womb, and this is coming from somebody, I'm living with a pregnant woman right now, my wife, and, and being able to see that with my own eyes, you devalue that life, you will not have value on life or what it means to live a full life at any point after after that as well and that's why we see the chaos in the culture today it's the source of the river correct i mean what to me everything we have been debating existentially as a culture all dates back really to 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 roe v wade was the political opening um the political ultimate political manifestation of the counterculture and everything that, that's a line of demarcation. Everything that we've really been debating is a derivative, in my view, of that decision ever since, almost 50 years ago now. We'll come back with hour two in a moment. Back with hour two, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with... Totters and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can email us steve at stevedace.com. Check us out 
on MeWe, Parlor, Gab, Facebook. Look for Steve Dace on any of those platforms or follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you like censored clips of the program, youtube.com slash Steve Dace is the place for you. Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. You can go there as well. And if you are a podcast listener, thank you. Uh, We appreciate you. If you haven't done this yet, hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review that does your part in letting the world know you love this program and you need to tell somebody about it. Thanks to all of you that have given our fragile male egos a boost that we most desperately needed by doing one of those two things already. Fake news or not brought to you by ExpressVPN. You know, a few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. Uh, What's changed? Well, the internet has. Thinking about uh, everything you've ever browsed, searched for, watched, tweeted. Now imagine all of that data is being crawled through and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. And it's yours. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities had to worry about. But in the era where everyone is online, everyone is now a public figure. Keep your data private when you go online with ExpressVPN. There's hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is just to buy and sell your data. And the worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or even get your consent to do so. One of those data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, that connection is rerouted through an encrypted server. Thus, your IP address is masked. And every time you turn on ExpressVPN, You're given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify you and harvest your data. And you can put this on any of your devices, phone, laptop, smart TV. All you need is just one tap to get you protected. So if you want your data to be your business, secure it yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash Steve. That's ExpressVPN with a V. V is in victory. ExpressVPN.com slash Steve. Get three extra months for free when you sign up at ExpressVPN.com slash Steve. So we continue our series here on Fake News or Not, looking at our best-selling new book, Faucian Bargain, the Most Powerful and Dangerous Bureaucrat in America. And this week, Todd, we're going to look at the chapter dealing with Two of the most important questions that still need to be answered, not just for this, but also future generations. Correct. And to that end, in the next 20-ish minutes, I have five fake news or not questions to ask you. But ultimately, whatever the answer Steve gives to them needs to be heard through the prism of answering these two ultimate questions. How... Were we ever going to flatten the curve if we didn't know when the curve began? And what caused Anthony Fauci to go from a calming force to sending the nation into a COVID-19 panic? So, to that end, question one. A 9-11 type tribunal to look into how COVID was handled by the experts would be a waste of time and energy because people did the best they could under uncertain uncertain circumstances. Fake news or not? I think that's fake news. Now, do I, do I think that a 9-11 style tribunal, given the era in which we live today, 
the the spirit of the age that hangs over the culture like a pall or a sword of Damocles. Uh, the balkanization that exists within the culture today, the political balkanization. Um, do I think it would be a panacea that it would be capable of getting us to a place of ultimate or agreeable truth? No, I don't. But do I think we'd get a lot more truth than we currently have? Yeah, because I think some of that balkanization works to your advantage the other way. Meaning that if if because of the balkanization we can't get to a place of ultimate agreeable truth because there's just not enough things in our in our in in our country today that are mutually beneficial for both sides of the political debate to come to an agreement upon as a shared narrative well there's lots of things you can learn along the way though playing the balkanization from one side against the other meaning that there would certainly be at least let, let's say the republicans just did this uh, republicans got control of congress next year which i think will happen i think they will win control of both houses of congress next year and they just decided they're going to do this on a congressional level they're just going to appoint a they're going to have a you know a 9-11 style tribunal chaired by our buddy Chip Roy in the House and Ted Cruz in the Senate or Rand Paul, okay? Do I think you would get enough enough accommodation broad-based for us to get to a place of ultimate and agreeable truth? No, I don't. I, I was reading yesterday, Naomi Wolf tweeting out that she's getting threatened by a lot of her progressive friends for pushing back on this. But would the balkanization help us to get more truth than we have now? Meaning that the Republicans, Republicans have any incentive whatsoever to protect Anthony Fauci? Any? No. No. There's not a Republican in the White House now that you don't have to worry about embarrassing if something comes out about uh, there's collateral damage along the way uh, about, you know, uh, that, that Trump got bullied by Fauci, made some poor decisions that he should not have made, Right. Um, well, he's not president right now, is he? No. No. And even though there's there's a lot of talk he'll run again, let's face it, there's a lot of Republicans that don't want him to run again. And they're not even people that are rhinos. There's just people like Ted Cruz that would rather have the job instead of him. You know what I'm saying? Sure. There's no incentive to protect him at all. You have to worry about, we got to protect our guy in this process. So you don't care about the collateral damage of exposing the whole the, the 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 entirety of what went on here to take down Anthony Fauci because anybody with your on, on your team that gets caught up in the in the undertow of this you don't really it's not you so you don't care about their political futures not tethered to you on any level whatsoever so the political balkanization would provide us a lot more answers than we currently have so even if we could not get to some Nuremberg style of absolution because we're just too far gone and and when I when we wrote this book on purpose, I did not refer to this as a Nuremberg style tribunal, because number one, I I don't believe we are capable of that level of absolution. Um, but do I think we would get more? So if absolution's not on the menu, our answers that we don't have would those be acquired? Yeah, I think there would be political incentives to find those answers. Regarding what changed with Fauci, and how do you know? Uh how to flatten a curve when the curve began. What's the most innocent possibility 
just to set a baseline for this tribunal, what's the most innocent possibility you think some based on everything you know on the data, the motivations that could be given at this point for well, that? Well, let's look at those two questions individually and reset why we think they're important before to answer your question. Yes. The, the whole notion of how do you flatten a curve if you don't know when it began. I mean, remember, think back to last year and we saw these elevated curves that would start with nothing in late February and then go up, 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 up. And the perception was being given to the American people that this thing was just exploding incredibly. And so that's why we had to shut down the entire medical system. And so we did that. And unless you lived in Seattle or New York, uh, basically seven or eight places in America, it was, you know, I mean, you saw tumbleweeds going through parking lots of, of, of med centers and hospitals in your town. And so that's why by the time we got to the end of April of last year, there was already an argument about when do we end this thing and reopen? Okay. And, and so Wisconsin, your state did by Supreme Court decree around the 1st of May. Ours was the first state to reopen by a gubernatorial decree. Georgia was soon after. Okay. And so because there, none of, no medical systems outside of a few of these hotspots. Why? Why? Why was that the case? Because they all began with the assumption it's a little bit like believing gravity didn't exist until an apple fell on Isaac Newton's tr- off of off on, on Isaac Newton's head. How did well then? How are we still on terra firma for thousands of years as a species? Discovering gravity is not an indicator of when gravity was actually implemented, deployed, invented. Um, we began with the notion that COVID nineteen really didn't arrive to America. Until about the first week of March, when the media went into complete overdrive of panic with it, despite the fact that prior to that, we had already imported, exported and re-imported over 300,000 Chinese college students. Despite the fact there was already out there in San Jose, California, in Silicon Valley, California, a massive technology convention that was held in January of, of, of last year. Um, which may or may not have been the if we contact trace that out is is that the first the reason for the first acknowledged COVID death was in that community right we, the I mean the Italians traced this back through their septic system they were able to find traces of of coronavirus going back to September of 2019 I think the state of Ohio did a similar study they were able to go to back to December of 2019 the reason why that matters is our whole impetus was. We have to salvage the healthcare system. Well, remember the weeks leading up to the shutdowns, we were nearer the CDC's epidemic line for the flu. So how many how many people were going in there with flu-like symptoms and just being cataloged and coded as the flu or pneumonia because we didn't have one for COVID yet? Perhaps my father. Perhaps your dad. Perhaps lots. Perhaps thousands, if not millions, of Americans, for example. Uh, and, and the other reason why that matters is now it gets into a question of seroprevalence. It was like, it wasn't a month ago where the LA times had this splashy headline on the front cover, how, trying to figure out how did LA get to 50% of a herd immunity threshold? How did they do that when the vaccination effort was just getting underway? Because if, if our baseline of, of data is bad, then all of the assumptions we're going to make therefore are bad too. All right. The amount of the infection fatality rate is going to be off. Everything's going to be off. The, the level of natural immunity is that we're going to take into account. All of those things that are key in terms of how we make public policy. And that's what we're doing in this book. How you decide to treat this for you as an individual is between you and your doctor. Are we doctors? That's not what we do. 
But but you but when you're looking at a nation of 330 million people, you've got to make some broad-based calculations. And if 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 the assumption of when the virus arrived was off, then that meant every decision we made in those early days were all were all bad because it all began from a flawed premise. That's why that first question is so important. Um and keep in mind it's during that period of time that Anthony Fauci at first, getting to the second question, Anthony Fauci at first is a, is, is, a, is a calming, soothing voice about this. And all of the things as we document in the book Fauci and Bargain, whether it's what he wrote in the New England Journal of Medicine on February 28th of 2020, calculating the fatality ratio for COVID. It's what he said about masks. It's what he said about the fact asymptomatic spread is not what drives respiratory virus outbreaks. All those things have all turned out to be true. But then on March 11th, he shows up and does a complete and total 180. Which brings us now, with that as a backdrop, to the answer to your question. The, the most innocent explanation is that he's just a media, not media-driven construct, saw and just decided to provide the media the content that he wanted, that it, that, that it wanted. For that's, his own personal, that's not very innocent. Efficacy, uh, that's. Uh, I also don't think it's very believable. Um, I mean, this guy was a was was a already a well known figure. He was already rubbing elbows with celebrities and and politicians. He was already feted at banquets. Now, obviously, this took things to a new level. But we have this notion because he wasn't on the, he wasn't. Uh, in the on the mind of many of us that this guy went, did the op- opposite of stapler guy in office space that he went from the stapler guy in the basement to the CEO no this was already a very well established figure within this world because of his work with HIV this just took things to a different level Me, I, I, here's the analogy i would use he was already the beatles this is his sergeant peppers were the beatles big stars before sergeant peppers yes were they transcendent figures before sergeant peppers yeah yeah, but is that their magnum opus? Is there the Beatles before Sgt. Peppers and then the Beatles after Sgt. Peppers, right? Sure. Okay. That's what this is for him. But he was already a force of nature in this world, folks. This didn't take him from total obscurity to stardom. This took him from stardom to a, to a form of megastardom, which is why I don't believe that explanation. I don't believe it. Fake news or not, the average age of death from COVID was the same as the median age of the average American worker. That, um, it, the average American worker? Correct. Uh, no. Okay, the average American worker, I think we have the number in that, the, the median is what, 40? Yes. 42? Yes. Is that what it is? The average age of the average American worker. Now, here's why that number is so key. Because the median age of death with COVID is 78. The average age of the American in the workforce prior to March of 2020, the average age of the American in the workforce was 42 years old. I mean, that's that's 35 years of separation between the most vulnerable populations and the average American worker. So then why do we shut all these businesses down and, and, and end up with 40 million people unemployed? The national average of businesses that is not going to return from the COVID shutdowns is around is right around 20%. Now, if you're in the state of Michigan, that's the highest in the country. You lost one third of your businesses last year that aren't coming back. And so this also explains, by the way, 
Hey, were Lowe's and Walmart and Home Depot, were they open prior to uh, May and June of last year when they began inst- installing their mask mandates? Yeah. yeah. They, so they were open in March and April too, mm-hmm. huh? And yet they weren't just hauling bo- body bags of employees from all these big box stores in the months of March and April? They were not. When when all the healthcare systems shut down and this thing's raging everywhere, right? Right. Right. Weird how that works. Could it be, could it be, because the average age of the American worker is 42 years old, the median age of death with COVID in America is 78. 95% of all deaths with COVID in America have been 50 plus. And among those 50 plus, the bulk of those numbers are 70 plus. So that may explain why Walmart has not faced lawsuit after lawsuit and OSHA complaint after OSHA complaint from the employees who, or, or the families of employees whose loved ones are not coming home. Well, actually, if you've been to Walmart, no one works the checkout counters. You're lucky if there's one counter open, okay? But uh, daddy didn't come home from stocking shelves at Walmart last night, died in the aisles with COVID. Does that, that data like that might explain why. Yet, nonetheless, remember on the show just last week, if not the week before, we discussed that polling on how overestimated Democrats, yes. Republicans, everybody, uh, the the forty one percent of Democrats, twenty eight percent of Republicans, and thirty five percent of Independents believe that if you test positive for COVID, there's at least a fifty percent chance you're going to end up hospitalized, and the numbers are actually for depending on age stratification, one to five percent. And this is obviously behind the perpetual fear with when you talk about the next spike or the next variant, people keep thinking, if they're not flat out lying, that we're going to go through the same level of hospitals must be shut down that they imagine was true when was never the case. That's, That's exactly right. And this is why there's so much of our media focus on India right now. Because exactly. too much of the country is open, meaning that all people are sinful, but not all people are stupid. Too much of the country is open. I, I can see what life in Texas is like. I can see what life in Mississippi is like. I can see what life in Iowa is like. I can see what life in Florida is like. Maybe you can hide Mississippi from the world. I mean, God bless y'all in Mississippi. I went down to meet with the American Family Association several years ago in Tupelo, and I understand there were some terrible tornadoes down there the other day, so I hope everybody is safe. I could not fly a one-day flight from Des Moines, Iowa to Tupelo, Mississippi in the 21st century. It, it, there was no way to do it. It was either take, If I wanted to fly into Tupelo, it was either take a two-day flight or I just flew to Memphis and then just drove from Memphis to Tupelo. All right, so I mean, you can hide Mississippi from a lot of, a lot of blue state America. It's easy to make them pretend Mississippi doesn't, doesn't exist. You can even do that with Iowa to some extent if you want when the caucuses aren't going on. Can you do it with Florida? No, too much of the country is open now. And so people now see for themselves, are we burning bodies in the, at the med station in my neighborhood or not, right? Are the, are the ER nurses on smoke break doing TikTok videos outside or are they in hazmat gear, uh, you know, with a wave and upon wave upon wave upon wave of dead bodies? You know, like we were told they were burning in Italy, for example, at the, you know, last spring. You can't get away with that stuff anymore. That's why they want to keep talking about variants or India, because all the narratives necessary to justify shutting things down other than we're just a branch Covidian cult. You can't even do this for politics anymore. Trump's gone. 
So you're either just doing this because you're an authoritarian or you're in a cult. Choose. Which one? Fake news or not. And you touched on this briefly in passing in one of the other questions. The LA LA Times in February of 2021 reported that herd immunity might be near, and it did so before vaccination had time to be the cause. Correct. That's, That's absolutely true news. In fact, someone who lives in L.A. just sent me a note that uh, the public, the Department of Health, because I mentioned last hour, how many places I saw around town yesterday doing shopping and stuff with the wife, advertising vaccines at no cost. Take them right now. No appointment necessary. Just walk in and get vaccinated for COVID because there's so little demand right now for the COVID vaccines. And someone, uh, one of our listeners sent me a, a screenshot of a text message from the L.A. Department of Health. That just sent that exact text message out uh, on blast uh, either today or yesterday. So that's why natural immunity. Yesterday, I saw some people react to what I I, I sent out and, and tweeted yesterday about why we are ignoring natural immunity. And of course, a false choice was made that I was therefore ignoring the importance of vaccination immunity. I wasn't doing that at all. Did I do that? No. No, I'm when I say it's not a binary choice between natural and and vaccination immunity to achieve herd herd immunity in the middle of a of a pandemic. Heck, I don't even believe that. And I'm the so-called anti-vaxxer. I don't believe that. We we, I, I agree that vaccines were created so that the human toll it would take for us to achieve herd immunity naturally could be abated. I, I, yes, that's the, that's the original rationale for vaccination. Okay. But we can't go the other way either. Where we're just going to ignore natural immunity in our calculations. This is the argument that Marty McCarry at Johns Hopkins keeps making over. And he was making it again yesterday because it was a New York times piece out. We're never hitting herd immunity ever going to happen. Well, they're only looking at vaccination levels. Because what they want to do is these same people want to justify because they're they're saying it more and more in their media. They're even some of the Corona bros are even saying it in sports media now. Don't let anybody in any more stadiums ever again without a coronavirus vaccine. And so they want this is what we call in in, in, in argumentation or philosophy reverse engineering. They're starting with the outcome they want and then they're going to fashion their arguments in reverse in order to justify them later. So because you wouldn't get vaccinated, we can't reach immune, herd immunity. And, they, and, that, and therefore, we've now got to put our boot on your neck to get you to do what you should have already done anyway for your own good, but now for the common good as well. Here's the problem with that. It leaves natural immunity completely out of the equation. So I I completely agree. I I would prefer not to wait for natural immunity to get us to herd immunity. That will take a long time. But I'm also not going to just because I don't want that to be the case, just make assumptions about the vaccines that haven't proven efficacious or the data doesn't show works either. We don't do reverse engineering on our show ever, ever. I've told you all along, if I thought if the mask works, we'd be having a different debate about these masks on the show for the last year. They don't work. So herd immunity and vaccination immunity go together in order to help us achieve quicker the herd immunity threshold. It just so happens that in most of the media, they want to ignore 
natural immunity. And a lot of the same experts that lied to you for the last year want to ignore it in their calculations as well. Why? The most innocent explanation for that, just to borrow the question you already asked me on another front, the most innocent explanation is that the virus is purely and wholly synthetic. They don't want to admit that. And so they don't know which of any laws, natural laws of virology, immunology, and biology apply. That would actually be the most innocent explanation. But are any of these people admitting that? No. Therefore, there are no what? Innocent explanations. There are none. Last one. They're either just lying to you or they just want to sell vaccines for Moderna and Pfizer. Last one. And we have to get to this one. And remember, that LA Times story came out in February 2021. We, in the book, write that we knew as of April 2020 that there were 28 to 50 times... 55 times more infections at that time based on antibody testing that had been recorded. So here's the fake news or not. Antibody testing was ultimately far more important than PCR testing. Uh, Yeah, true. True news. Yes. Particularly the way... PCR testing behind the case demic. Yeah, yeah, particularly given the way that the PCR testing was manipulated. Our colleague Daniel Horowitz pointed out last week, very quietly, the CDC announced... Um, that the new cycle threshold for someone to be reinfected with the virus after they've been vaccinated, they were going to put it down to 28. Now, on average for outbreaks, we have had it at 30 to 32 prior to this one. Now, in many places around the country, it's 35 or higher, 40 or higher. Putting it all the way down to 28. If you wanted to create a scenario where you wanted to boost the efficacy of the vaccines, what would you do differently? Right? I right. mean, if you weren't, if you're just doing this innocently because you're like, even if these people get reinfected, the odds that it's a contagious strain are so low with the vaccination. Sure, that could be the odds. This actually is Spinal Tap. Oz goes up to 11. It's amazing that they're doing this in broad daylight. And what, so what they're really telling you is probably what the true PCR test cycle threshold should have been all along is no higher than 30 which is exactly what Didier Riault, the renowned scientist from France, said about a year and a half ago before, unfortunately, on what was it, March 13th or whatever, Donald Trump said something nice about hydroxychloroquine and Didier Riault went from uh, a global celebrity in this industry to um, a witch doctor overnight, okay? But that, that gives you kind of a window to the soul of probably what our true PCR threshold should be. And when you cited the, the seroprevalence numbers from LA, that was a study that was done last April, about just over a mm-hmm. year ago. That was done by the University of South Carol- Southern California. USC did that study with the LA Department of Health. They found that seroprevalence sample before the virus had reached its epidemiological curve, had even really hit LA yet. They found that level of penetration, which takes us all the way back to the very first question. How do you flatten a curve if you don't know when it began? And so when you connect what we saw from the seroprevalence studies we were doing at this time last year with the herd immunity thresholds that we're, you're starting to see us hit this year, it, they make perfect sense. The only reason they don't make sense is if you just ignored or lied about those seroprevalence numbers from a year ago. But if you acknowledge them, then seeing some of the herd immunity thresholds, meaning the point when you hit, when you hit a point in an outbreak 
where the vi- where the outbreak reaches the point of diminishing returns. It's reached its peak and now it's on the decline. It makes perfect sense we hit it if you looked at the seroprevalence numbers that we were often mocked and derided for citing at this time last year. That's what I got. Aaron, what do you think? I have one more for you. Yeah. Fake news or not, had we not even been aware that there was a novel coronavirus due to the fact that we don't know when the curve began, had we never been aware that there was a novel coronavirus in existence, the American people and the world by extension would have never really even noticed that much of a difference in day-to-day life. Uh, True news. I think it would have been reported as a nasty, a new nasty flu season, a nasty pneumonia strain, something of that nature. Uh, But uh, I think that's absolutely true news. Yeah. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy there. And isn't it fascinating that the, the country that did this to the world, China, has over a billion citizens and yet has conducted only about 160 million coronavirus tests. Hmm. We'll come back. Pop Culture Tuesday is next. The MCU debuts its Phase 4 slate. We'll break it down right after this. When it comes to car and home insurance, you deserve better. That's why you want to put your policy to the test and turn to Gabby. It literally stands for Get a Better Insurance, G-A-B-I. Gabby means a better price can be found, perhaps for you, for the same or better coverage. Who knew something like this existed? Um, They give you apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the other top insurance providers out there, including all the big national names all in one place so that you can find out, hey, am I saving money here or am I just kind of writing the check in rote robotic fashion every week, uh, every month, I should say, because that's what I'm used to doing. We did this with Gabby. Now, thankfully, we found out we already had the best policy. In fact, the number one thing it recommended for us is the one we already had. So if you've got that going for you, they'll give you the peace of mind of knowing that, hey, you've already maxed out where you're at uh, in the marketplace. But wouldn't you like to know? And then if that's not the case, wouldn't you like to save some money as well? Uh, Put your policy to the test like I did. Get a better insurance with Gabby. Totally free to check. No obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash Dace, G-A-B-I, Gabby.com slash Dace. Again, Gabby.com slash Dace. Let's turn our attention to Pop Culture Tuesday when we look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. Earlier this week, the Marvel Cinematic Universe unveiled this trailer to announce its Phase 4 slate. I love being with people. It's the most incredible thing in the world. What are you doing? Oh, this is nice. That world may change and evolve, but the one thing that will never change, we're all part of one big family. He's your brother. Not 
woman over there. She's your sister. Higher, further, faster, baby. That's right. We're all part of one universe. Wakanda forever! That moves ever upward and onward to greater glory. So that's the first time I've watched that. And I find the framing of that fascinating. It, it's almost like Kevin Feige over there at, at Marvel was watching Politically Correct with uh, Bill Maher about three weeks ago. And, and his closing rant when he went off on, the movies are now all about suffering, yours. That there's, we don't go there anymore to escape or hear a good story and get away from our problems. We go there to be confronted with them and then have them rubbed in our face and then all blamed on us. Because the messaging of that is directly counter and contrary to what Mar pointed out, what was highlighted. And, and if you want to be as fair as possible, it was you know, pretty slim pickings given you know, what, were, were we, what happened to the country in the last year. But you, it's pretty fascinating that for all the talk that even Feige himself engaged in about representation and social justice warriorism, just yesterday he said they cut a scene uh, with Doctor Strange at the end of WandaVision because they didn't want him to supersede her as a character. And he made the phrase, here's the white guy basically come here to tell you how to Use your powers. And yet, though, the entire plot line of this show is a woman goes crazy because she's denied being a wife 
and a mom with a house in the suburbs. She goes nuts without those basic needs and desires fulfilled. I wonder if either either these people are just completely unaware of the values they're actually pushing in their stories. Maybe that's true. You know, last year during the shutdowns, Noah and I went through like you and and Bella did and rewatched this entire saga. You know, what is it? 13 films. One from one to the end. I kind of have a hard time. Maybe the first Wonder Woman could be, you know, we had that conversation a few years ago. A one-time thing could be a runoff. Maybe they don't really know what they're doing, but this is a pretty consistent thread throughout these, this entire saga that spans 10 years. I have a hard time believing it's just a series of random coincidences. I'm starting to wonder if either he just says these things because it will get him positive takes in the media, and then they just go, they just say that like a politician. I tell you what you want to hear, and then I'm just going to go do what I want to do anyway. Or they have maybe upfront made a calculation as a company that we will bow to the spirit of the age with representation of characters, but we're really not changing the way we tell stories or how we do this one iota. Because that's pretty emblematic, the messaging of that announcement of their Phase 4 slate. It's pretty emblematic of the Americana that we saw that made it the most successful and unifying force in pop culture in well over a decade. What are your thoughts, gentlemen? Well... When Stanley's voice said, look at the person next to you, they're your brother. The two scenes you see are uh, Black Panther and Kill uh, Gore. Yep. Killmonger. Killmonger, excuse yep. me. Who just are sitting there in brotherhood, but they just, one just killed the other while the other one was trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. And then next, it's Nebula and Gamora, who I, Nebula, pound for pound, is one of the greatest stories in this entire arc what she overcame and ultimately the thread that saved her is her desire like you wanda she just wanted a sister mm-hmm. she, and, and it, th- there's beauty deep deep beauty what they're trying to get you is yes they've been trying to kill each other but at the end through grace there is life that's undeniable and i tell you what the the genius of repackaging what they accomplished by showing you the studio audience cheering right once again, and I think it's not just the story within the story. It's not just Captain America getting the hammer. It's the brokenness of the arrogant Thor, who was the one who belonged to the hammer. He's standing right next next to him, and when he catches that hammer, Thor gets yells out the rebel yell as he's more fulfilled than he's ever been in his life when the guy next to him is more worthy than he is. There is... Lesson after lesson, I'm filled with a level of grace right now watching this for like the third time because it it fills me with hope. They, they are, we want to move forward together. That's what Kevin Feige, for whatever his political views are, he seems insistent that whatever you guys do, this is where we're going. And I'm going to ride that train of hope as long as I can. Yeah, I, 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 I'm at the point now where I really don't think other than just being present, I I really don't foresee and I'll probably eat my words. I hope not to, but, but just past as an indication, there's a for all of the, let's just face it, lip service that he's given the woke left, the woke mob there, that really hasn't been a main feature 
pretty much at all in the Marvel films. Uh, and you just look, as you just articulated, Steve, at the themes that they uh, tackle. And just if you have studied storytelling, there is a science behind it. Feige and the, and the creative forces behind Marvel, they just have, they have this um, unique talent and fetish, really, for telling intricate but powerful stories. That's their priority. I think that's what their priority has been. And so they will give the lip service when, when they think it's due. Maybe they think that they're doing, you know, maybe they think that they're accomplishing something uh, big for the woke mob. I, I don't know, but they just tell really good stories. And it's clear that that's, that's their concentration, not propaganda. Good stories is their concentration. And um, the, the way that that was framed as well in that, that trailer, I'm not really much of a Pollyanna. Um, did you know that? I'm not really, I don't really get moved, but that was moving because it, 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 they're saying unlike every single sports league, every single season, Mm -hmm. it seems like for the last four or five years there, which is basically virtue signaled and said, uh, this is, we're, we're edging closer to not being a safe place for people like you. Mm -hmm. Feige and this commercial, this, this trailer is swinging the other direction. It's like, no, we're your escape. This is an escape for you. This is a safe place, you know, to some degree. This is maybe the safest place. That doesn't necessarily mean it's perfect, but safest place for you. And I think that's, I think that's amazing. Some final thoughts on this here in a moment. First, let me tell you about Tommy John, though. It's the absolute best underwear out there. It's the only underwear I wear. And yes, in case you were wondering, although I don't know why you would be. Although maybe you're one of those ladies last week that really liked no, the uh, the Gravely no. voice. You don't want me connecting no, those dots? No, no. Yes, I am wearing my Tommy John underwear. Uh, it's the only underwear. I'm wearing it today. It's the only underwear I own. Uh, it is, um, I mean, it's just a phenomenal product. That's why it's been around for 13 years, has tens of thousands of five-star reviews. It's why it's been called the most comfortable underwear ever with dozens of comfort uh, innovations, breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric, uh, four times the stretch of competing brands, uh, particularly with my workout uh, regimen. And then now that the, well, allegedly the warmer weather is going to get here at some point. Uh, have you guys seen the weather forecast here? The first two, two weeks of May. Yeah. It, it looks like the end of October. Why? Yeah. Okay. Um, but eventually it's going to get hot. I'm told. Uh, and, and that's when uh, the, the, the cool cotton of Tommy John, it really soars 13 million pairs sold in counting. It's the best pair of underwear you're ever going to wear. Guaranteed. All right, they got loungewear and other stuff too. And yes, uh, they've got underwear for the ladies as well. However, I cannot personally testify uh, to how effective uh, those work. I've, I've not tried those on. Uh, so you get 20% off your first order right now when you go to tommyjohn.com slash Steve. That's tommyjohn.com slash Steve. Get 20% off your order right now. You'll thank me later. tommyjohn.com slash Steve. Again, tommyjohn.com slash Steve. Steve, you know, we, we, we've pointed out when it comes to COVID, the irony that the country that gave us Greta Thunberg had turned out to be the, the, the COVID-19 control group of last year. And I think it's really maybe because they actually believed in their own secular um, propaganda, utopian propaganda. 
Like they're true believers in it. And so they, they followed it through to its most logical conclusion. We, we actually, we, our God really is science. So we, we're, you know, we deny human nature and do socialism and all the other things that go with it because we, you know, are, we, they actually followed their religious fervor to a consistent standard at the end. They followed so, the science all the way to the end, right? Maybe we kind of have this backwards with Marvel and Feige. Maybe they actually truly believe in this stuff. And maybe, maybe they think that diversity really is meant like that CIA ad that you ran, sure. the recruitment ad at the beginning, that they really are, are looking to bring in a cisgendered anxiety patient to the CIA to really show that this is, America is a unifying place. When in reality, the spirit of the age brings people like in in order to undermine these sorts of institutions. Maybe they're Sweden. Maybe they really do believe in this stuff. And, and, and so they really thought all along the point of, these, of, of the diversity religion was really about opening up the promise of America to disadvantaged groups. Not undermining the promise of America with disadvantaged groups. See what I'm saying? Sure. And so maybe they're actually the Sweden here. Are they taking the, so the reason why they haven't crossed this Rubicon as you were describing, Todd, is because they don't see it, it. They don't see that it exists. Like, look at the way they handled Black Falcon becoming Captain America. Yeah, America's got its problems, but man, that, that symbolism is still pretty powerful. Especially when you put it on somebody whose ancestors were slaves. It's even more powerful now. Like they really believe that's really what the diversity addicts. The diversity religion is trying to promote rather than just getting rid of America. What's ironic about that is the, the very first reply I told you about, the very first reply to the tweet where they had the trailer in there yesterday mm-hmm. was somebody saying, you know, Stan Lee said, we're all part of one big family. Somebody, the first reply was uh, Marvel MCU has a lot to do, because uh, a lot of work to do to make us all feel like one big family because it took them 13 years to put a gay character in one of their movies. It's like we cannot. Right. The spirit of the age cannot have nice things. Right. Maybe they're, maybe they're actually just um, affirming progressives. They're just not nihilistic. They're not spirit of the age addled. Like they really believe naively that the point of diversity was to make this applicable to all, all people. When that wasn't its point. Its point was to make it available to no people. Well, because that's impossible though. It's going to boomerang back on yep. them. If that, if that is yep. the case, yep. eventually, yep. like the very first reply that you mm-hmm. talked about on Twitter yesterday, that'll do it for today's program. We're going to stick around and do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we will see you tomorrow, noon to two Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. And until then, John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.